This is for report 68 on consulting. Let's start by talking about why this topic matters. Consulting can help you learn more by seeing across different environments. It can also help you earn more if you're especially talented and you're working within a company where your outputs aren't as tied to your inputs as you would like. And you can also exercise more control over your time by choosing which clients you work with and which projects you work on. The problem is that clients lack the expertise to solve their own problems. And this brings us to the difference between contractors and consultants, where a litmus test from a Trends Pro member, Daniel, helped us figure this out, where he thinks about the difference between consultants and contractors coming down to who tells who to do what. Clients come to consultants because they need expertise and they need guidance, whereas they tend to go to contractors or freelancers when they think they already know which path that they want to take and they simply need bandwidth, but they're more so guiding the contractors or the freelancers, whereas the consultants are guiding the client. You can check out the report for players such as Stewart from Channel as a Service, Yolanda from Sprint as a Service, Elon from Delverize. Vishal from TrainEdge, Monse from New21, and more consultants. The first prediction is that we'll see more consultants outsource non-core competencies. And some examples include accounting, if you look at Bench.co, scheduling with the tools such as SavvyCal, and even setting up entities with services like Stripe Atlas. The same force of consultants outsourcing non-core competencies will lead to more specialized consultants. This gives them bandwidth to become more specialized or develop more spikier skill sets. We'll also see more people enter consulting. This could be attributed to the same force of consultants that don't have to wear as many hats, as well as marketplaces and platforms like Clarity FM and Mentor Crews that are bringing liquidity to these expertise markets. We'll also see more fractional roles where it's common now for CFOs to serve multiple clients. Businesses often can't justify hiring a full-time executive, and that leads to consultants like Kevin with CMO packages that start around $7,000 a month. If you were looking to hire a full-time CMO, they would be much more expensive than that. We'll also see the execution side of things become more productized, where years ago it would be common for a developer to build a responsive site or to make a site responsive, whereas the job to be done of making a site responsive is often built into templates or tools such as card. On to opportunities, where the first opportunity is to build a value ladder. And this starts to create a flywheel of consulting where not only do you increase your credibility by building out other products such as courses, books, building templates, but you also put yourself in a situation to earn scalable income where we know that as you're selling time, that's not a scalable form of leverage. You're essentially selling labor and it's very hard to become wealthy while selling labor. Whereas courses and books, those are media forms of leverage. There are even examples that we'll talk about later of consultants building and buying SaaS companies, again, to move to more scalable forms of income. Another opportunity is to build free top of funnel content. And coming back to Kevin, who has a daily newsletter, there's also Paul with the YouTube channel and Michael, who has a podcast. If you develop a solid top of funnel, this could actually result in a situation where you're turning away business because you have too many opportunities. And since the capacity that you have as a consultant isn't as high as if you had a product business, 
in these situations, you would want to optimize for client quality over client quantity because you only have so many hours compared to products with zero marginal costs, such as a course or a book. It's also important to be clear about who you work with and what type of work you do. It came up in a few report reviews that I had with consultants where they talk about a mistake that a lot of consultants make is to not be specific enough. This goes beyond being able to penetrate a niche by being specific. It actually comes down to being able to predict and limit scope creep. Because once you specialize and see enough situations, you can pattern match and build confidence in terms of the scope of projects. If you never focus, you're more likely to encounter scope creep because you won't build that muscle up to be able to estimate the amount of work that goes into solving a specific problem. Another opportunity is to build around an existing platform such as WordPress, Webflow, or Shopify. And this helps you reduce market risk where you know that there are tens of thousands of users, paying qualified users on these platforms. There are often established niches around these platforms. And it's still possible if you look at Timothy Ricks, who's a Webflow designer, where he's built a micro monopoly within this Webflow ecosystem. So you can still put yourself in a category of one, even though you're going after these more established markets. Another opportunity is to quote unquote, host a party or build a community to help your clients. And an example goes back to Kevin, who has two communities, Everspaces and Mindshare, and he also has paid and free tiers. So this becomes another possible revenue stream of scalable income. There's also Vic, who runs Consulting Club, and he's actually partnered with one of his students to make a specialized course to take the content from Consulting Club and adapt it for therapists. We could also talk about the possibility of moving from consulting to productized services. And this goes back down to nailing down the scope and being specific about what you do, where in the productized services report, we talked about the importance of saying no, because the more that you say yes and open up the type of things that you do, you lose scale with each yes that you give. But this creates a more scalable company and a more sellable company as well compared to consulting or even agencies. You could also look at building a lead generation company if you take the free top of funnel advice seriously, where Neil Patel did this, where he generates so many leads for SEO services that he ends up selling a lot of those leads because he has too much top of funnel. And some people get caught up here where they look at the deal sizes that they were doing before when they were taking that work on directly as a consultant or as an agency, you may do less per lead in terms of volume or money, but lead generation companies are actually more capital efficient than consulting companies or agencies because instead of selling time, you're actually selling leads. So you can have higher margins and a more capital efficient business than if you had a service-based business. And lastly, we could look at leveraging your expertise to build or buy a SaaS, where we have Stuart Townsend from Channel as a Service, who is building out Podcast Hawk with a team. There's also Kenan from Alpha Particle, who bought Kanban from WordPress, and he's a WordPress consultant. So he's able to lobby his expertise from his firm into building up this plugin that he bought instead of building it from scratch. On to key lessons where the first key lesson is to do great work. And this is your best form of marketing. We're coming back to Stuart. He hasn't had to worry about generating leads in over a decade. And that just speaks to the quality of his work. 
There's also a key lesson to optimize for quality over quantity. And to a degree, you have to do this as a consultant or selling any type of service that's based on your time where you can't generate more hours, but you can generate more dollars. So this puts pressure on you to optimize for client quality and figuring out how you can actually work less, deliver more value while earning more or stepping up to these more higher leverage business models that we talked about, such as digital products or SaaS, or even advising or investing with the connections and access that you've gained through being a consultant. We've talked about this before, but it's worth coming back to the fact that agencies and consultancies tend to have negative scale effects, meaning that the more they grow, the lower margins that they tend to generate. So an agency may do more in terms of volume of money but the margins actually tend to dip as you pay in the form of coordination costs of organizing all of these people and the increase in meetings that tend to come with a larger organization compared to if you were scaling software. We can also look at the power of niching and the value of having a unique offer and the pricing power that that gives you. If you're specific enough, you can put yourself in a category of one and be positioned as the quote unquote only option. Then you have much more pricing power than if you were in a commoditized position. This also goes back to the differences between being in a position to generate your own demand and having that proprietary distribution in that top of funnel versus being listed on Clarity FM or even Fiverr, for example. If you're on those, you're being positioned next to other consultants or other services service providers versus having your own podcast or YouTube show. There's also this counterintuitive element of consulting where clients with smaller budgets actually tend to be more demanding. And this goes beyond consulting to other business models such as restaurants or courses or anything else. As you're thinking about dropping your prices as a consultant or for any of your products, think about the effect that they may have on the quality of customer that you would attract and the tertiary effects that come with that. There's even a meme that's in the report that talks about the difference between $500 clients and $50,000 clients. The meme is funny because it tends to be true. And since we're in the key lesson section, we can come back to something that we talked about earlier, and that's the difference between consultants and contractors, where consultants are paid to think, essentially, whereas contractors tend to be brought on for extra capacity or to be directed by the customer or by the client, whereas consultants are helping guide clients to solve their problems. Another thing that we should talk about is that value-based pricing has its limits. There's a whole report on value-based pricing, we tend to forget that consultants don't live in vacuums, and it's very possible that a consultant that's more skilled or at least has the perception of being more skilled isn't the person that ends up getting hired because value-based pricing is about value. It's about ROI or perceived or expected ROI versus the expected benefit, and that's very different because ROI is a more cost-benefit equation. For example, if we take a highly skilled consultant who is a 10 out of 10 in terms of skill levels, but their prices are also 10 out of 10, that's an ROI, a hypothetical ROI of one versus you take someone who's less talented, who may be an eight out of 10 in terms of skill, but their prices are a two out of 10. That's a four in terms of an ROI, hypothetically, compared to a one. So as a client, I would go with this expected return of a four over the expected return of a one. And that's how 
consultants who may have lower perceived skills may end up being hired over a consultant who is perceived to be more talented. And again, it goes back to the fact that no consultant lives in the vacuum, even though they are special and there's no one out there like them. It does come down to alternatives like any business problem. Instead of being an absolute thing, you don't have to work with this person. There are also alternatives such as the alternative to do nothing. Actually, if we go back to the situation where you have someone who's a 10 out of 10 in terms of skill, but their prices are also a 10 out of 10, I would rather do nothing than to make that investment of a one because I end up in the same situation when I could have spent that time and that energy somewhere else to build the business up. And lastly, we can touch on this topic of customer concentration, which may not make it into the written report. And the idea here is that as a consultant, let's say you have five clients. Each one of those clients has a bigger impact on your business than a SaaS company that may have a thousand customers where they have more range of freedom in terms of what they can do and what they can test versus you being more dependent on each one of those clients and them having a bigger voice and more influence on your business. And it's subtle, but it's also important to think about. On to the haters. The first hater says that I don't want to trade time for money, and this isn't something that you have to do. I point to the Ladders of Wealth Creation by Nathan Barry a lot, but he talks about this concept of skipping rungs on the ladder or skipping ladders altogether. And I love this point that he makes where he talks about the fact that you can do this, but it tends to take longer, where Trends VC is an example of this, where I went on mini retirement for three years and I could have done consulting, but instead of doing that, I went without income for over three years because I didn't want to go back into a service-based role and I wanted to skip straight to the higher leveraged income in terms of digital products and eventually investing in these other business models. But again, it took me over three years to do that. Whereas there were other people who could have been up and running after they left their job in days or weeks or months because they were willing to jump in there and start consulting and he talks about this idea of skipping steps. It tends to take longer in aggregate, and I do believe that, but there are certain people who, when they know themselves, they'll admit that they're stubborn. I have a friend who recently admitted this. He wants to go directly after SAS, and it comes down to knowing yourself, and again, it may take longer in aggregate, but it's just it's more about understanding these things and understanding yourself than it is about taking one particular path. So. If you don't want to trade time for money, that's not something that you have to do as long as you understand the trade-offs that go into that decision. Another hater says that we already talked about agencies. Why are we talking about this? And in this report, I hope it comes through in the written form of the report, is that consulting is distinct from agencies. One thing being that when we talk about consulting, we're mostly talking about solo practitioners. This represents people that may not want to hire or manage a team, they may want to skip straight from services to a higher leverage business model rather than building an agency or even a productized service. And in the same way that we've talked about productized services and have an entire report on productized services, just as we have one on agencies, we also have one on consulting. And if you haven't noticed by now, we tend to come at similar topics from completely different angles until we have all of our bases covered. So this is yet another example of that by covering agencies, productized services, and also consulting. 
Last but not least, I'd like to thank everyone who helped out with this report, including Stuart from Channel as a Service, Kevin from Kevin.me, Vishal from TrainEdge, Monse from New21, Tim from Optimization, Vincent from VH Digital, Daniel Wolf, Ray from Sustained Ventures, Emmanuel from the Hub Institute, Josh from This Is How I Do It, Keenan from Alpha Particle, and Cole from Meta Security. This wraps it up for Report 68 on Consulting. Thanks for listening, and I'm looking forward to your thoughts.